I can't control God. It's a risk you take, you know? I can't control the wind yeah. or God. So then it's, five seconds then I will call out the tour director, but I'm just saying that if the wind blows, there's nothing I can do about that. I can't control God. Talk to him. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. This is our final recording of the 2023 season, we think. Season 9 just keeps going. Well, I like to think that season 9 is over. This is just for laughs. This is a liminal space. This is one of those things that, you know, other podcasts, not even tennis podcasts, would consider bonus content. This is a bonus episode. Oh, okay. It's still going to count, though. It's episode yeah. 326, but, you know. I, I actually don't know how many episodes that is in the season, but I feel like this was one of our most prolific seasons ever, as far as number of episodes. I can answer that question. It's our second most. Oh, okay. What was the, the most? Which year? Do you know? Uh, I don't. I'm, I have it written down somewhere, but I don't have it handy off the top of my head. We've recorded something like 42 episodes this year. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is a lot for us. We asked for questions, and you came through. There are so many questions, probably the most that we've ever gotten. Well, we solicited in two locations this time. We did Instagram, and then we also did Twitter. X. Mm. Are we doing that? <laughs> no, no, we're not. Before we get into the questions, an update on our GoFundMe. We're currently at a, a smidge over 56% of the goal, which is... Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. As usual, the goal itself is not tied to like a specific number that we'd like to spend or like a certain trip we want to take. But we will, as always, keep the fundraising campaign open until uh, the end of the Australian Open. So the end of January. It's earlier this year than it has been in previous years, I feel. I think I saw that the tournament wraps on the 26th. Of January? Oh, okay. I haven't started studying for next year. I'm so unprepared. What do you need to study for? The the date that the Australian Open starts, I guess, <laughs> and ends. So that was just a dig at me. No. Okay. No, I'm. <laughs> we're having like a a true tennis style off season this year, a very short one, and it's totally our choice. But uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not ahead of the game as far as what happens in January. If you'd like to support the show, you can find everything about us, including the GoFundMe link at linktree.com slash thebodyserve. As we've mentioned previously, if you donate $100 or more, we'll send you a signed postcard as well as bookmarks. New ones for this campaign, as opposed to the ones that we've sent out in previous years. And the only other big item that we're, I don't want to say offering, but so we don't get in, tr- <laughs> get in trouble. But the only other thing tethered to the GoFundMe is if you donate $500 or more, you'll be able to essentially co-produce an episode of The Body Serve with us, a history episode. And we've already started kind of, not work, but the discussions on one of them mm-hmm. that we're very excited about. A little bit of a, a, a different direction for us for that one. We, of course, appreciate all levels of donations, like Bernie Sanders. Every Mickle Mickle Muckle. Right. 
first question, how this is going to go, we've got four pages of questions. Let's just pick one by one wherever we want. Let's not go in order. How about that? Okay. I'm going to start with a question from at Lady J Tennis. Are you excited for next season? I feel more eagerness than I did last season. Yes. I have been told in the past that I can be a little mm, disengaged, perhaps. <laughs> and I hear I hear that, and I take that criticism in. Yes. Well, yes, I am excited for next season, and I'm not lying. It's a discussion that we've had privately many times. <laughs> yes. I don't know how many times we've paused recording for me to tell you, no, you cannot say that. Nobody wants to listen to a tennis podcast where one of the hosts repeatedly says, I didn't watch that. Or I, I have no interest in this. watching that. And no, lo and behold, I found <laughs> some discussion on tennis podcasts online the other day. Mm-hmm. And in discussing this show, <laughs> it was casually mentioned that they don't always watch tennis or they say they don't always watch tennis. And I said to you, or they can be negative sometimes about the tennis itself. Uh-huh. Which, like, fair, totally, I get it. I get... Yeah. And I was like, that's not a good look, <laughs> sir. No. So... I think I assumed that honesty was the best policy. Like, I, I assumed that people would want me to be honest if that were the case. But I also know from being a listener of other people's podcasts that that can get old. It does. When people are like negative all the time well i don't think i'm negative all the time but about certain things yes that's what i mean yeah because i've definitely listened to podcasts where i've been like okay then why are we here like here we go again the same thing (laughs) yeah what was the question the question was are you excited for next season and lady j says that she feels more eagerness this year than she did in past years and i agree i feel the same way and it's entirely to do with the returns of two of my faves Rafa Nadal and Naomi Osaka. No two ways about it. Yeah. I answered this on Instagram, and I think there there's a clearer picture of what's happening at the tip-top of the WTA, clearer than at the beginning of last year. I think Rafa's return, obviously, is exciting for us. At some point, Novak's dominance has to end, right? No, there's no certainty <laughs> about like, that. Maybe when he's 57? There's <laughs> absolutely no certainty that Mm -hmm. that will happen all things come to an end we just don't know when they will come to an end i'm also are you saying that's something that you're possibly looking forward to happening no i would never i would never say that Uh, i'm excited about the olympics which is not actually common for me Mm. and the olympics olympics or the tennis olympics the tennis olympics because this is a tennis show i of course i'm i'm excited about athletics and gymnastics uh, but i'm i'm excited about the actual tennis portion this time and i i'm really interested because i think there are going to continue to be some major business and organizational shakeups across the sport next year and for a few years to come so i'm interested in seeing what that looks like and of course, you cannot wait for season two of Breakpoint. Three. It's wait. season three? No. Wait, how many? Two. There's only been two. Oh, they came out in bits and bobs. Who can remember? There were <laughs> there were two batches, two big batches of episodes. Right. Parts one and two, I, I guess. think the next one is dropping early in the... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Last year, it, it came out in January, I believe, right? 
This really wasn't a serious thing on my part. It oh. was supposed to be a, a jibber-jabber at you. I am looking forward to... I was setting you up. Oh, I'm, I'm not being negative, babes. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to the end of Simona Halep's doping trial. However wow. it may end. I thought that was going in a totally different direction. Nope. I know what you right thought. Right after you said, I'm <laughs> the not end being of negative Simona's anymore. Dot, dot, no, the just whatever the final verdict is, we as a sport, we need this to end. Agreed. Was that your segue into the next question? Oh, oh we can take that now. Yeah. There were two questions about Simona and some recent things that have been happening. At CL More in 61 asks, since it's been in the news lately, what's your take on the whole PM slash Simona blame game? And at Daydreamer Oz, the tennis establishment has been eerily quiet on the Halep case, the biggest of its kind in the sport. Those who have spoken out focus on Halep's character rather than the merits of the case. Please discuss. This past week, there was a bit of a, a social media blitz and an interview that came out, a broadcast interview with Simona around the time when the date of her hearing with the CAS was announced. It's going to be happening in February. Strange to me that, well, I'm sure she's being advised, but strange to do a social media campaign announcing the date of your doping hearing. Just odd, in my opinion. But the entire public relations approach to this case has been odd to me. Well, we learned from this latest blitz that she no longer works with Patrick's Academy, that we didn't know for sure before. We're starting to see a very clear shift in how she talks about this case publicly. And this is time to blame Patrick. Which we've said should have happened a long time ago. Should have, but it appears that ship might have sailed. Meanwhile, Chris Ebert is out here saying that Simona is innocent, yet again reiterating that and that she, quote, handed her whole life over to her coach and his team who controlled her career, nutrition, management. Seems like there's some words missing there. Well, she said, I believe Simona is innocent. And then she said, essentially, this is what happens when you handle control over your career to these people. What you're implying is that they're responsible. Because you've said Simona is unequivocally not responsible for this. You gotta be careful there. She didn't say it outright. But you do have to be careful accusing people of things. Now, even if the the Muratoglu Academy and her team got the wrong supplements, nobody forced the pills into her mouth, right? And this is how doping cases work. The player is ultimately responsible, unless a, an actual crime was committed by the coach. So where does this leave us? This is, is it attempt to lay out a new defense before the media? A defense which she'll use at the court of arbitration for sport? Or is it a way just to rehabilitate her image on the chance that she is banned for four years? Because again, we're seeing a heavy reliance on the blame game to undercut the first charge, being the Roxetta stuff. But what about the biological passport, sweetie? Well... Chris Everett, what about that? What's the explanation for that? They say it, it is all down to contamination. That, and that's the defense that failed at the independent tribunal. I don't know if that's right. the defense they'll try again. But the, the passport covers a longer period of time. It predates the Ruxata statute. Right. But the ITIA, I feel, wasn't able to prove those tests early in the... Like, they weren't comfortably satisfied. My point is, 
the defense here is to focus on this one thing. It's almost as if if we can get people to believe in, in her innocence, in her lack of culpability, if the blame is squarely on the team, then that can maybe overshadow all the other finer details of what's actually in this case. Right. And as you know, I have been no Patrick defender. In fact, quite the opposite on almost everything. But you've got to be very, very careful here, implying that this person is responsible for what happened. Patrick said that he, quote, felt responsible. He didn't say he was responsible. And that's where I feel like a, a lot of the reporting here is a bit misleading. I understand it's a very subtle semantic difference, but it is important. And he's not even capable of... He can't take legal responsibility in a doping case. It The player is the one under the rules who will be held responsible. So he can say he's responsible, but that doesn't mean anything for him. And by him, quote-unquote, taking responsibility here, it doesn't finger him as being like the kingpin of doping ring, right? It just means that somebody in his team was responsible for inadvertently doing this. Right. We ordered the supplement. These things can become contaminated sometimes. And apparently people have reached out to us. We've seen it online that this is not an uncommon thing, whereby manufacturers of supplements sometimes intentionally sometimes unintentionally the they can be tainted mm-hmm. it's that not it's, it's poor, not unheard of that it's poor poorly regulated and again that doesn't mean that you are not culpable in any way but it would most likely result in a reduced suspension where i'm going with this oh sorry <laughs> is there there are no real great stakes for him allowing this narrative out there if it means helping Simona. I think it's even possible he's given her permission to kind of throw him under the bus a little bit if it will help her. Right. Because he's proven himself to be Teflon. I think I was thinking about this this week and I don't actually think that reputation matters at all in tennis. You know, I was thinking Darren went out on a limb here. He risked a lot speaking so full-throatedly in Simona's defense. And then I thought... Did he really risk a lot? Because I feel like in the sport you can do almost anything and either nobody will notice or nobody will care. You can be an abuser. You can be uh, recently imprisoned and then deported from the United Kingdom. You can be a doper. You can be all manner of things. And I don't really think that reputation matters too much in whether or not you're employed in the sport of tennis if they view you as important. I mean, meanwhile, Patrick's career has not suffered one bit. I'm done with this question. Let's move on. Uh, Okay, why? I mean, what else is there to say? All right, fine. I just got a wave of annoyance (laughs) for some reason. (laughs) I was amused by this question from Steph in the US. Why do so many ATP players pat their opponents on the stomach at the net? I've always wondered this. Do dudes do this in other sports too? Um... (laughs) I'm trying to understand like where the question is going. Is is the question why do men touch each other? Period, or why do they touch each other on the stomach specifically? I think it's stomach specifically. Oh. If I could speak for Steph, I think that might just be proximity. It's the part of your body that's over the net and where your hand can most easily reach. Mm. Right. Uh, the question about why do men touch each other just just because straight men love touching men. 
mean, I mean, I, depending on the culture, men can be incredibly physically affectionate with one another. One need only watch Love Island. Right. To see this in full force. <laughs> Personally, I prefer when they touch other things. Like, you know, a little butt smack or, you know. Like pat a pat on the head. Yeah, do the chest, you know, embrace fully. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see now why the stomach specifically might, be, might stick out as being a little bit weird. <laughs> Shola responded to Steph on Twitter with an image, a still photo of that Zoom call with Venus and Grigor. During the pandemic, yes. where Venus begged him to show his abs. And he said, no, 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 no. And then he said, okay, fine. And Venus wasn't paying attention. And he lifted up his shirt. And then Venus pretended to faint. <laughs> <laughs> and so Shola is offering that, you know, it's it's the abs, babes. It's the abs. Mm-hmm. This is a bit off topic from tennis. At Alice Jasmine asks, uh, actually, she has a question for me and one for you. The question for me is, favorite horror movie you saw in 2023? I'm going to give you two, because the way... Favorite is one. No. The way the question was worded, it doesn't have to be a 2023 movie. It's just one that I saw this year. So my favorite horror movie that I saw this year overall is Don't Look Now, which I finally, finally watched. The classic with Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland. It was phenomenal. And my favorite horror movie of the year is Megan, which I almost forgot about because it came out in January. Wow. Incredible restraint. Not going into a whole dissertation. Last year was better for horror. For me. The question for me was favorite cricket moment of 2023. I really appreciate the specificity of these two questions targeting each of our interests. Mm -hmm. Because I'm naturally disposed to be a hater... And because the West Indies cricket team did not qualify for the 50-over World Cup that just recently ended, I spent the entire tournament watching from a distance, hoping for the downfall of the host nation. And apologies to all Indian listeners or supporters of the Indian cricket team who listen to this show. But I was tickled pink. That they ran the table, won all of their group stage matches, won the semifinal, and then lost spectacularly in the final. That was one. That was my favorite cricket moment of the year. And uh, normally, I'd have something West Indies cricket related to offer, but it's been pretty bad for a long time. As we're recording now, I'm keeping eyes on the fifth T20 match between West Indies and England happening now in... Trinidad, and West Indies is chasing down 132 to win. A target they should, should, should reach easily. However, they're currently 55 for three. And why that was also one of my favorite moments is because I have an antagonist at work who is always telling me how West Indies suck (laughs) and always wants to talk to me about India's prowess and this and that. I'm like, "I, I, I don't care. And the chance to rub that in when I went back to work after this result, that was also spectacular for me. Okay. You're looking at me like, wow, you are a horrid person. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the reason for this is, but we got three FMKs for this mailbag episode. One reliably from Shola, which is what we'll start with here. And I'll preface it by saying that I've been playing the connections game on New York Times. 
you've played that before, right? I don't know if the listeners have played that where mm-hmm. you get 16 clues, 16 one-word clues, and you're supposed to make four groupings that are connected. So this FMK, it's Marcos Giron, Dominic Team, and Stan Vavrinko. Now these would be a dead giveaway in a connections puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> but but if, if you didn't get the connection, but Shola indeed, Shola titled it FMK Bongos Edition. Okay, so Mary Marcos, F Dominic, and I'm sorry, I have to kill Stan because Stan is kind of problematic. Well, I can't F Stan because I'm like 20 years too old for him. Yeah. Um, And I wouldn't want to marry him because he'd probably leave me for somebody half my age. Wow. In short order. So there's no other option. Oh, same as me? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, do I really want to spend that much time with Dominic T? <laughs> it's unclear. So <laughs> I wouldn't want to marry him. It's... It's, you know, you answer these questions and you get yourself into trouble sometimes because our perceptions of players as people often differ from who they actually are in real life, mm-hmm. most likely, and most definitely from what their fans view of them. Mm-hmm. And and what they look like. Mm-hmm. What do you mean in terms of... Well, what? the question is asking you to be shallow. Well, yes. And, I mean, we see people thirsting after tennis players on the internet all the time and our response is like how how right, are you thirsting over this person to to each their own of exactly course. i just appreciate marcos's instagram output he's bouncing all over the place in all the right areas he knows he's giving the girls what they want on the internet i mean he is doing it on purpose it, it has Obvious, to be the case at this point yes okay one of the other fmks that we're not going to do. Are we going to do all of them? Let's just do them all. Okay. Loyal listener at Caitlin17 says, Federer Nadal Murray. First of all, how dare you? This would be total cancellation if we answered this. I'm not answering that. I don't think it's that bad. (laughs) Well, actually, you know what? I mean, I know what your answer is. Yeah, it actually is pretty easy. Yeah, I know what your answer is. Mm -hmm. But I'm, me, not, I'm not going to share. I'm going to say that your answer would be to F. Nadal, M. Murray, and K. Federer. Yeah, probably. Uh, t- to be clear, I don't want to. I don't want to unalive anybody in TikTok speak, or n- none of this group. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> is this game outdated? Is it a problematic? Oh, is it game? problematic? Um, maybe. I don't know. I think we we definitely do a lot less of talking about people's physical appearance on mm-hmm. the show. That is something we that we started. Yeah, we yeah. did that a lot. We're also older now. We're less wild. We're wiser, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. The third FMK comes from Nicole Copeland, and it's the Tommy edition. Robredo, Haas, Paul. Okay. Let me go first. Okay. I feel sure. like you went first the other ones Mm -hmm. i would answer this in that same order (laughs) in the order of tommy's i would f Robredo, m haas and k paul and the Mm. reason being i always thought tommy Robredo was really cute tommy haas selfishly while i don't love the circles that he runs in i would marry tommy haas 
only because I would have access to a lot of stuff. He's, I, oh, and he's, potentially the foster money. <laughs> well, the foster parties. Can you imagine the live singing that you'd be able to witness if you were married to Tommy Haas? Right, but you'd have to do it at Mar-a-Lago. Mm, there's that part. <laughs> <laughs> I would marry Tommy Haas if there were no prenup. How about that? Okay. Or even if there were a, a favorable prenup. <laughs> right, for you. And then Tommy Paul, the dude bro surfer vibe just doesn't do it for me at all. Okay. Uh, my F would be Tommy Paul. Mary would be Robredo. And I'm sorry, a Republican? Absolutely the fuck not. Well, we know this. Tommy Haas? We know this, that he's a Republican? Do I know this for a fact? No. Am I aware of the people who he has married into and how those people act and think? Yes, I, I'm Wait, aware. Who is he married to again? Sarah Foster. David oh, Foster's that's daughter. Why. Yeah. Yeah. Catherine mm. McPhee, his yeah. mother in law. Mm. <laughs> mother in law. <laughs> no. I'm just saying. I'm so sorry because you do choose these things. It might be interesting. What am I going to do with. Tommy Robredo marrying him. I'm sure. I'm sure it would be fun. I just see the you potential for a little bit of excitement hey, you've, here. You've always wanted a European passport. That's true. And just to get all of the problematic stuff out of the way in one segment, so you can skip it if you want. The next question I'll do really quickly is from underscore Parker E underscore. Who are we thirsting over at the end of 2023? There's only one answer to that question. It has dominated my thinking. Yes. For months now. And you share a first name. We do. Mr. Bailey. Jonathan Bailey. Anthony Bridgerton. And the, you know, now he's on Fellow Travelers. Tim Laughlin. Skippy. (laughs) Yeah, same. And then like a few guys here and there from Love Island Games. Only, only the dumbest may apply. Right, okay. We've watched so much Love Island recently. And it's been one of my great joys to watch you thirst over these himbos, only for you to be disgusted when you find out that they're misogynist pigs. Well, um, let's 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 most, pause here. Most of them. The most spectacular case being when you thought Zach from Love Island season four was hot. Well, no, I thought he was okay. No, no, no. And then <laughs> let's not revise this history here. But then. Like, the personality came out, and it was just the pits. Okay, let's uh, do a palate cleanser and jump into a tennis question. Okay. Fake Damien Turbler asks, What happens first? Layla wins her first slam, or Naomi wins her fifth? Mm-hmm. I answered this on Instagram as well, in that I declined to answer. Well, I put it here again, because now you <laughs> are going me? to answer. Well, never say never on the WTA tour. Are you saying that it'll just it's just not going to happen for Layla? Why would you think that? I wasn't referring... When you said never say never. Well, never could also be referring to Naomi's fifth slam. No, I know you. Don't lie. <laughs> I, I'm leaning toward Naomi winning a fifth just because she's done it before. She knows how to do it. But there is so much unknown. Of course, she had a baby... She has not even started this comeback yet. We have no idea what she's going to look like compared to her peers, what her motivation will be like, how full of a schedule she'll play. 
This is why I hate doing predictions because you could be made to sound like a fool after two days, you know? Yes, but I think the likelihood of Naomi winning a fifth is greater than Layla, only because Naomi gets two cracks at it on a hard court. Two hard courts mm-hmm. that she's won on twice. She is, well, she was one of the absolute best on hard courts before she mm-hmm. went on maternity leave. Provided fitness and showing up even in the vicinity of her best, I think she'll always be able to compete on that surface. She's got the serve. She's got the ground game. If she's able to get her movement, her fitness back, like, why not? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think this question comes also from Layla's hot stretch at the end of this year. You know, she made the final of the U.S. Open in what? What was that? 2021? Mm -hmm. And... Outside of playing well in Mexico, she hasn't really put together results. And we're finally perhaps seeing an extended an extended run from her, where she's right. not just having this one bust-out moment, but putting together a string of results that could lead ultimately to the big one. That's a, a, a solid, sound, logical reasoning. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's only best of three, it's not like comparing, hey, Sinner did all this great stuff, but let's wait till we get to best of five. She could trap lightning in a bottle. I just think that she doesn't have the weapons necessarily that will make it easy. And she also uh, can get in these very long extended matches, which aren't ideal if you're trying to win seven. The next question is from a friend of ours. And I don't. I really don't know how to pronounce your handle, I'm, and I don't want to mess it up. Just try do get through it once. Ubi kutkos. Okay, that's one way of doing it. I don't know what the actual way right. is. But Last time know, I said ubiquitous, and it's not that. You're not. It's definitely not that. Butchering his name. Right. That's not his name, so you shouldn't feel shame about that. <laughs> I just always assumed there was something to do with being ubiquitous about it. Maybe it's a, pl- a pun. Perhaps. Okay. Yeah. He asks, how have you guys kept your interest in tennis alive through various eras? Which has been your fave and least fave era since you got into tennis? That's a great question. My favorite era was right at the start, the 94 through the rise of Hingis. Meaning, it ended with the rise of Hingis. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Actually, she ended that. It ended with Jana Novotna's win at Wimbledon. Okay. It may have ended with her retirement, actually. 1999, that great season. Let's cut it at 1999. Mm-hmm. So 94, mid-94 mid to the end of 1999. That's my favorite era. Interesting because, firstly, it's an era that a lot of people complain about. And you were not a Stuffy fan. So you had to witness a lot of her winning. I'm a hater through and through. So <laughs> when I get to watch somebody I do not like and I did not like Steffi at the time. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear about that. I was always rooting for the underdog when it was Sampras winning all those titles. Clearly, I had to be an Agassi fan. Clearly, I had to be a Novotna Sanchez Vicario fan because mm-hmm. how dare you win so much? That was my initiation into sport. I always rooted for the underdog. As you know, you become a more mature person, then you start to see... The forest for the trees. Is that the expression? Did I get one right? Yeah. Wow. And then you begin to appreciate people, right? And then you think, well, wow, that was a wasted opportunity not 
being in the moment and appreciating how great this player was. But you win some, you lose mm-hmm. some. Will it change your view on Novak? That is such <laughs> a dark-sided question that you know the answer to. Yeah. And you know the reasons why. Yes. So I rebuke that respectfully. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people's favorite eras are based a lot of, on nostalgia. It's yes. based on when you started watching the sport because mine is also around the time I started, but I started a bit later than you. Early 2000s is really, for me, the WTA golden age is an absolute pinnacle as far as quality and the storylines. Serena, Venus, Capriati, Lindsay, the Belgians, Moresmo. I just, I don't know how you ever get back to that, honestly. And I'm sure other eras were far more exciting to other people. Some people will find this era the most exciting to them. My least favorite era, since I've been a tennis watching fan since 1994, I would say when I got out of college, 2007 to when I, like 2007 to 2010, I would say. Mm. Those are mostly lost. Well, I would say from Agassi retired. So from 2006 to 2010, those were lost years. I think I needed a break. Mm Mm-hmm. Rafa was on tour at that point, but I hadn't become a Rafa stan yet. Well, that's not necessarily true. It, that happened around like 2008-ish, but it wasn't mm-hmm. rabid fandom. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, well, I guess that's my new fave. But of course, that takes time oh, as well. Okay. And then on the woman's side, you know, Serena was absent. Venus was playing well, but not really winning outside of Wimbledon. I just found it hard to beat fully into it i i needed a i needed a break for a little while yeah on the men's side do you have a favorite era it's hard to say because there have been so few stretches in rafa's career where he hasn't been interrupted by injury if not being off the tour but then having results dip mm-hmm. you know to have like say oh well here's a, a six-year period you know so I, his career is a little bit different in that regard i would say maybe i guess his comeback in 98 onwards onto his until his retirement that would probably be my favorite mm. era mine would be 2013 and only that year <laughs> no but the big four era i liked it in the early 2010s i think had i been alive and watching tennis the early 80s probably would have been a favorite on the men's side really you think you could have stomached McEnroe connors or you'd have just been hanging around for Bjorn Borg's shorts well, and Bjorn left so early. Maybe the 70s. Yeah, the maybe that's more accurate. Well, there are going to be bad apples in every bunch, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> but how? the other question was, how have you kept your interest in tennis alive through various eras? And my short answer is, it's a job. So well, It wasn't always a job no, for us. So we kept the interest alive before the show started. Yes, it definitely ebbed and flowed for me, though. I always kind of followed it, but there were years where it kind of fell away a little bit. And it's similar, like, around the time we were graduating college, going into grad school, there was much less interest, definitely. So, like, the late 2000s. Yeah, because we were together in 2007. And I don't recall, and I famously don't recall a lot about (laughs) life and our relationship, (laughs) but... I don't recall us bonding over tennis much. I remember going to the Rogers Cup. I remember making Mm -hmm. trips from London, Ontario to Toronto 
to go to tennis, but I don't remember sitting down and watching matches together like, oh, we have to watch this match. Yeah, if Serena was playing, I would watch. But it wasn't like, oh, I always have to wake up at 3 a.m. to watch this one match in Australia or whatever, you know. At that time, tennis definitely wasn't on our radar full time. Although I remember taping the 2010 Australian Open final, Serena, Justine, and trying not to get spoiled. I taped it on a VHS tape and then rewound it and tried not to pay attention to how long the match was first. (laughs) It was a whole lot back in the day when it was possible not to be spoiled in that way. A follow-up to that cricket stuff. West Indies now need 21 from 24 balls with six wickets in hand. This should be done undusted. What's interesting to me about this current series is that the T20 World Cup is happening in 2024, and it's being played in the Caribbean and the United States. I hope to maybe go to a match in New York City. That'd be cool. My first ever international cricket. Well, that's not true. I was in Antigua in 2007 for the Cricket World Cup, then the 50 over World Cup, but I didn't actually go and see a match. But I was in Antigua when it was going on. Hmm. Um, But apparently, (laughs) T20 World Cup cricket is going to be played in Long Island. Do they have a cricket ground? They're they're apparently building one to satisfy ICC requirements. I don't know if I assume that one exists now, but they have to like zhuzh it up. Right. That's my best guess. We saw a, a little international tournament in Canada many years ago, and it was up in King City, Ontario. For any of you who know the GTA, it was in like a field. Yes muddy field no parking lot and they just put up a stadium a makeshift stadium and then took it right down again and some dude hit my car do you remember that i do remember that queuing to get out of the parking lot that field because he was so impatient he was tailing people that closely to get out yeah i remember that it's the first time i've ever gotten out of my car to have words with somebody ben rothenberg asks Serena struck a deal to publish a second memoir sometime in the next few years. What moment in the last, say, 15 years of her career do you want her fullest truth serum account of? Ben is releasing his biography of Naomi Osaka come January, so I imagine that's why uh, memoirs are on his mind. Serena is fully in her venture capitalist uh, crypto era, so... I'm not really expecting a whole lot from memoir number two, but if we got a fully unfiltered take on something that happened in the past 15 years, we just need to know once and for all what happened during the Blackheart era. (laughs) Really? (laughs) On a more serious note, I would like to hear what she said about 2018 behind closed doors. I'd like to know that. What about it? Just what her experience oh, was. after the US Open? Yeah, what do you mean, what about it? Oh, well, that was be like more specific. One of, I didn't think I needed to, that was one of the most important incidents that we've covered on this show. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is there any other gossipy stuff from her career in the last 15 years that you'd like to know? I would like to know now what she thinks of Patrick, if that's changed at all. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. how that's wrapped up in 2018. You know what I... I want to know, how did she approach, like, how did she talk about her great rivals with her closest confidants? And there were very few great rivals. Venus? 
Right. <laughs> how well? How does she talk her frequent rivals? Let's say uh, Vika. Most interestingly to me, Maria, Justin. What what did she say about them? And with Maria now that they're in their uh, friend era, in not nemesis era, I I just wonder like. She clearly approached matches against Maria as if they were deeply important. Mm-hmm. She didn't lose to her in uh, 15 years. I can't remember the exact number of years. What was she saying about Maria? Did they have sort of this grudging respect or was there still some animosity between them? I'm just, I don't know, I'm just kind of interested. And this question makes me want to put some respect on those women who wrote autobiographies while they were still playing, and spill the tea. We just did that episode with about Hanuman Likova. We know Pam's passing shots is out there. Like, you are calling shots. You are spilling the tea. You are giving us what we want. And then you have to go play them tomorrow. Still. <laughs> that's a whole nother level of chutzpah. Yeah. The question itself just made me sad that this is not going to happen. Ever. This this era of celebrity memoir, and especially when you're in your like uh, corporate board era, when Venus is giving speeches to various company boards and shareholders meetings, you're not going to get an unfiltered take about anything. It's all so rehearsed. And so even, let's say, uh, Rafa's memoir, Serena's first one, what are you really getting? Like, how much of the unvarnished truth are you really going to get? And unfortunately, I don't think at this point going forward, you're not going to get much. No, it's a completely different time, sadly. At A-A-B-O-N-U-H-I asks, What were some of the shows that disappointed you this year? Either you didn't finish it, disliked a storyline, character, what have you. And for me, it's squarely the Spanish shows that I watch. I know I told you that the last season of Elite Elite was one of the worst things I'd ever seen. <laughs> I watched maybe half of one episode of the final season and I stopped. Like, how far <laughs> that show fell is wild. Mm. And also this other one, I was excited for season two of Sagrada Familia, Holy Family on Netflix. But it, I just could not believe the things I was watching on that TV. <laughs> like, I watched these shows to work on my Spanish, right? It's been a years-long project at this point. And this show, it had me believing that this woman went and killed a child with autism because that child may have seen her murder somebody. And I was like, you know, this is a step indeed too far, Mm -hmm. even for me. Do I really want to watch that? Do I want to watch and find out if they were just, you know, teasing that and that she actually didn't do it? That that was the one crime that was even a step too far for her no Mm -hmm. did not want to go along for that ride so you don't know don't know don't know okay i have a few Mm, number one and not a super serious answer is below deck franchise all of them except for down under basically and real housewives the ones that i watch atlanta and potomac salt lake city is safe because The girls are giving it to you every ball on Salt Lake City. Like, they are bringing it. But the evolution of these Bravo reality shows... We'll start with Below Deck. These, uh, I think, since the pandemic, during those sailing yacht seasons where they had to stay on the boat, 
and they were quarantining and everything that it just became way too much about the crew partying and the crew drama that I now find Sailing Yacht the weakest of all of the franchises. Damn. And I love Daisy. Even Mediterranean, because you hate Captain Sandy. No, it's worse. It's worse, because it's just all about partying. And they now they they purposely cast people who are going to be horrible at their jobs or incredibly toxic people to be around. And it's just so tiresome. It really is. No, well, the problem is Gary. Plain and simple. Sure, but last season I wasn't too too impressed with Daisy either. So sure, but that has to do with Gary as well. Like they've made him the central protagonist of that show. It's almost as if it's scripted at this point for him to be the the villain when he doesn't he doesn't need much prompting because as we found out, the next season will probably be his last because he's facing charges. You know what's allegations? What's absolutely wild about this network is that. Gary has been accused of sexual harassment by people who work for Bravo. And they assured us, oh, well, next season will be his last. But we've already filmed it. So you're going to see him again. We won't. Like, are you for real? We'll disinvite him from BravoCon. (laughs) No, Below Deck is the most fun when the guests are being annoying. And you learn a little about what it's like to be on a yacht. It should be a fun show. Below Deck on the the original franchise, the thing that killed it, of course, was that season with a group of incredibly misogynistic, abusive men on staff. Kate never complained, and Captain Lee did fuck all about it. And that, to me, killed the OG version of the show. And we've seen how that can be handled. Yes. With Down Under. The other show is The Crown. Like, I told you... Oh, I wasn't done with Bravo. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. So Atlanta and Potomac are falling into this housewives trap where uh, nobody on the show is actually friends with each other. They're all being forced to film together. All of the people on it are extremely self-conscious about what it is to be on a reality show. So they know not to share a lot on camera. This was different back in the Wild West of reality TV where people would be a little more reckless. You know, I understand it's always been scripted. And it's never been real, but man, the cracks are really showing. It has never felt more fake. And if it were fake and entertaining, you might get a pass. But now it's just boring. And in the case of Atlanta, when you have long-term cast members like that, and we saw it with so many of the women over the years, the more you're on it, the more you feel you have something to protect. The more guarded you are, the less willing you are to play the reality game, right? You just become yeah. stale. So, uh, And as much as I love candy, candy, as much as I love candy, like, this is not it. Can I talk about The Crown now? Mm-hmm. This show should have ended before even the Diana stuff. Yeah. Like, this season yes. needn't have happened. I begrudgingly watched those four episodes with you because you really wanted to watch it. And then I said, I'm good, love. <laughs> the last batch dropped... And I said, I have zero desire to watch this. And then last night I'm at work and I see you tweeting about it. And it seems I made the right decision. You did. I have not watched an episode straight. I've watched it in probably three or four sittings each. Have you finished it? No, I'm, I think I'm on episode seven. I will say the Margaret episode is the one worthwhile part of the season so far. I'm presuming that's when she dies. Right. She died in real life. She died in 2002, I believe. And Leslie Manville is just an incredible actress. So an episode devoted to Margaret is good. 
It's oh, really good, okay. right? I may watch that one. Mm-hmm. Right. I can't recommend the rest. The first four episodes about Diana's summer in Europe and then, of course, her death were absolute torture. And not only because the subject matter is difficult and emotional, they were also just bad. And it felt like propaganda in a lot of spots. Well, here's the problem. Once you get... So now you're getting into people we know, things that we lived through, and people have a rooting interest. And now you also have a Prince Charles who is currently a King Charles. And this show is made by a royalist. The show is never going to go against the sitting sovereign. It's just not, right? So it seems... It just feels like... Was this season written by the royal family? It has a very clear project to resuscitate Charles's reputation and to make sure he doesn't come off as the bad guy during Diana's death. So much so that they resurrected a ghostly Diana right? to come back from the dead and forgive him. Are you cr- <laughs> like that to me was so insulting. This woman is not alive and you have her ghost forgiving a repentant Charles. What? Crazy. Crazy stuff. It's hor- the season is horrible. And I will say the, the first few seasons, the Claire Foy seasons of The Crown, were fascinating. She was incredible at the role. And it, I was learning things that I didn't know. And it made me also, you know, read about them. Because I know these are fictionalized versions of real events. This question pertains to current shows. But we've done this and been through this with other shows in the past. You stopped watching Scandal. I hate watched it till the bitter end. Mm-hmm. Atlanta stopped watching that. What uh, else did Glee. we stop? We stopped Glee yeah. in the final season. You stopped Homeland. I finished that. Yeah. So I don't blame you for stopping it. It felt like blame in the moment. <laughs> you're like, you're forcing me to watch another Love Island? Well, yeah, because that was the alternative. Is to watch like 10 Love Island Australias. Delbert Draws asks... Favorite movies of the year. You you answered this on Instagram, and I'll let you say what those movies were. Because I think you were answering for both of us with that. No, I was answering for myself. Oh, but so, that wasn't clear to the listeners. What? The, the, the viewers. You just answered from both of us. Then you should have just answered. Oh my god. So I'll I'll just quickly say what I wrote, and then you can, um, you can chime in with yours. Mine were Barbie, uh, really Barbenheimer... The Holdovers, this uh, Spanish-language horror film called When Evil Lurks, Anatomy of a Fall, The Royal Hotel, and The Conference. I've seen one and a half of those. (laughs) So I will say I really enjoyed The Holdovers. You know, I like movies that take their time. I like movies that don't take themselves too seriously. I like movies that aren't blockbusters. I'm not Mm. a Marvel girly. (laughs) Um, and the other one I would add is Red, White, and Royal Blue. I'm not here mm. to tell you that it's the greatest film ever filmed, but I enjoyed it. And part of the reason why I enjoyed it was, I guess, A, because I hadn't read the book. Folks who read the book were somewhat disappointed by how they adapted it. But I liked that they were telling this cute little gay romance without any real trauma or stakes. Mm-hmm. You rarely get that on TV or film. This is from at Dustinal 46. We're shifting back to tennis. Steve Simon shifting to executive chairman of the WTA. That's really only a sideways step, isn't it? Really not much will change, will it? How do you see that one working out? 
I think we have differing understandings of what's going on here. Okay. Well, let's first uh, explain what happened. Last week, December 12th, the WTA sends out a press release saying that Steve Simon will step aside as CEO and he will become the executive chairman of the WTA to, quote, focus on issues of governance, strategy, and the continuing development of the women's game. We have very little information about what this means. At the end of the year, I said, I don't see Steve Simon surviving this scandal. And the final the final nail in the coffin for me was the WTA finals in a year that was uh, becoming a real problem for him. And so my personal take is that this is a soft place to land. I think he's being moved aside for some newer talent, hopefully a woman. I just don't know how you go through a year like this and come out the other side as the leader that the organization really wants. And for me, I kind of feel like this is a a total misreading of what's going on by everybody who's reporting on it. (laughs) From what I've seen, it's not a demotion. It might even be a promotion. The new person who's going to be hired will be reporting to him. Mm -hmm. But for how long? Okay, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. As it is right now, he's exec- he'll be executive chairman, and the new hire will report to him. He's still going to be doing WTA governance, a whole bunch of stuff. I think there probably is a lot of merit to what he said when this press release came out, that it was just way too much for one person to, to handle. Okay. So, so I think is- like the organizational reshuffling makes sense but i don't see it as having anything to do with what happened i don't i don't see it as being punitive if it were punitive he'd be gone not necessarily if it were punitive it would be an emeritus position you know it would be something where you're not actually doing day-to-day stuff you know like you don't have real influence and correct me if i'm wrong but everything that i've seen That's not the case. But President Mickey Lawler is out. Yes. I don't know. To me, this feels like, okay, Steve, we thank you for your service. We're going to give you this cushy job and you're going to help us recruit for your replacement. And what happens after that? Not sure. This is your expertise in HR. (laughs) Coming through, I can see that burning a hole in the side of my head. No, because I've seen... Well, I haven't seen things exactly like this. But, you know, it's common for somebody who is being removed. You're not necessarily firing them, but you're taking them out of the role because you didn't think they were the best or they're not the best moving forward. And you give them somewhere that's not insulting. Right. But why is the new hire reporting to him? I don't know. Yeah, that's that's, a good question. That's where I'm tending to lean into this is not punitive. Mm Mm-hmm. And to be clear, neither of us has like inside information here. The WTA didn't release very much. I do wonder, in hindsight, how we'll look at his tenure. Because for a brief shining moment, he was seen as a kind of a moral authority over the WTA's principled boycott of China. Even though we were in a lockdown, he took a position that not really any other leader in sports did. He was openly resisting sports washing. And now we've gotten to a place in the sport and in many sports where I think 
sports washing is just one of those things that people have come to accept. And it's like, well, why do we need this principled stance on it when everybody's just going to do it anyway? So whatever. Make it rain. Right. More to come on this, obviously. Nathaniel90 asks a bunch of questions, but I'm going to pick two in particular. Who was the best Grand Slam player to only win one slam that should have won more from each tour? And then also, what rivalry would you want or would you have wanted to flourish? There are there are fewer men who've won only one slam. Mine, by quite a, quite a long shot, is Dominic Team, Just because of the level of his play, the people who he beat, and he's not done. The, but it just... <laughs> the Juan Martin del Potro erasure. Oh, maybe not a long shot. Okay. <laughs> You know, I think I forgot about him, but I still think it's... I'm still going with Dominic. I, I am. I mean, that that dovetails... I didn't have an answer to this, but Tyguy84 asked, when were y'all ever gagged at what the other person said this year or any other episode? This happened at one hour and nine minutes into this, record, <laughs> into this recording. Fair enough. I think I'm still going with Dominic, if it's between the two. Yeah, I'm going to... But clearly not... Not by a mile. Um, okay. I mean, I you could make the case for Michael Chang. You could make the case for Goran Ivanisevic. Yes. You could make the case for Tomáš Muster. Oh, definitely. That's That would be a really good case. Well, I thought so initially, but then the slam results just weren't slamming oh, at all. He won a lot of titles a on clay, A lot of titles right? on clay, a lot yeah. of Masters 1000 titles, but even at the French Open, never, never rose to the moment... To the occasion very often. And of mm-hmm. course, he had that terrible injury or the car crash. Oh, Not yeah. just an injury mm-hmm. that he had to recover from in the late 80s, I believe. And he also had to overcome being a complete asshole, allegedly. Apparently, he's one of the nastiest really? people who ever did play. <laughs> okay. And, you know, that is a there's, there's a lot of competition in I, the men's game. I mean, if you're going with 90s male tennis players, I feel like it's Muster and then it's Kafelnikov. Mm-hmm. Those two. And so Sampras being a bad tipper is pretty Ooh. low compared to... And Krychek, who has now like oh, this cushy yes. job with Rotterdam, I think, right? Or he he's high up in Dutch tennis. Oh, yes. Didn't he compare the women players to cows? Was he, that him? He did a lot of misogyny in his day. Yeah. For the women, I think it's one of two for me. Okay. Don't look at my paper. Oh. It's Sabatini or Novotno. <laughs> yeah, same. Or you could make the case for the woman who won the first ever slam that I watched. Yeah, I was thinking about Conchita Martinez. She'd be a good choice. There are a lot of women recently who've won only one. Kenan, Sloan, Bianca. Ivanovic. Yeah, Ivanovic, uh, having been a number one, would be a great choice. But I still think I'm going for, for a 90s gal here. Which one? Mm, I don't know. It's hard because they all had such bad records against uh, Steffi. <laughs> you know, even the best players of the era. I think I'm I'm going to go with Sabatini. Sabatini made so many slam semifinals. Yeah. You look yeah. at that Grand Slam performance timeline and it's just opportunity after opportunity. Why I would go with Yana is because Yana showed that on grass, she could do it. That on grass specifically, she was one of the very best. Mm-hmm. 
should have won 93. Should have won other times. She made an Australian Open final. She wasn't a one-trick pony. She didn't have the volume of semifinal results that Sabatini did. But I think, given the opportunities she gave herself, she should have grabbed more than one. I think that's without question. And that's one of the great, I don't want to say tragedies, but when you look back at her career, it's something that you cannot overlook. And it leaves a taste of sadness always, Mm -hmm. especially as a fan. And if you want to hear about the best four-time slam winner, listen to our last episode about Hanna Mandlikova. It's just a, a subtle promotion there. Better than Naomi Osaka? Could, it also could be Kim Clijsters. Naomi yeah, Osaka. I'm, I'm just trying to throw in a little uh, promo for our last episode. <laughs> Thank you for the responses. We've had quite a few people reach out to us and say they enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it was fun to do. Um, I'm glad that people enjoy it. I'll tell you that. I did not feel it was that great when I recorded it. <laughs> and uh, it's this I weird like, thing. You always feel like that. Like the first, the first 20 minutes of this recording were rough. Let me tell you. <laughs> sure, but it's going to sound put together. Sure, I'm just saying this is one of the things that people may not know about doing a podcast is that the things you think will hit almost never and the things you think <laughs> are flop will <laughs> soar. Sure, sure. The an, Another question from Nathaniel is the rivalry. What rivalry would you have wanted to flourish? And I couldn't tell, I don't know if they mean like from this past year or ever. So I just went with ever. No, I think it's ever. Oh, okay. Well, I just wish that we had more overlap between Serena and Steffi. Steffi retired at a young age. I think she was what, 29? Not young at the time. Young, young for now. And she had been dealing with a lot of injuries in 98. But, you know, winning Roland Garros, reaching the final of Wimbledon that year. Losing to Lindsay and then bouncing a few weeks later. Right. And then Serena Williams wins the very next slam. Her first. Another plug for a 1999 episode. Yep. Parted like it's 1999 <laughs> because that year was wild. And that year was one of the only times you actually see a changing of the guard in real time. It was a wild year. But they only play twice. They split their meetings. And I just would have loved to see them play many more times. I'm going to ask you all listeners now, if there is a year of tennis, and specifically I'm targeting people who follow tennis for a long time, because you have a much deeper wealth of knowledge to draw from. What year do you think we should target if you were to do one? Mm-hmm. Because I, I, don't think, I don't think we have the full range to be able to pick properly here. Right. I don't think we followed tennis long enough. We lived through 99. Well, I did. You didn't even at that point. I did. Bare, some of it. Yeah. I wasn't, and even, we were so, I wasn't even born. We were so, Is that what you're saying? <laughs> okay, Mariah. We were so surprised to go back and even discover that, oh, that happened that year as well. Stuff that we'd known about but didn't know it was 1999. So if you have a year that you think was a banger, that had hit after hit after hit, <laughs> mess after mess after mess. <laughs> Let us know and we'll look into it. But for me, did you answer your rivalry? Both yeah, of them? Serena and Steffi. Uh, I don't really have a men's one. I don't really know anything about the men, you know. My modern rivalry that I wanted that we never got was Ash and Iga. Oh, well, mine is Ash and Naomi. That's oh, what I okay. wanted. Yeah. There's we so had... many missed opportunities. Craigslist missed opportunities. <laughs> 
on the women's tour in the last decade. Yeah. Even just the last few years. It's crazy. Absolutely mad. One more quick one from Dust Mill. She asks, why does love mean nothing in tennis? No other sport that I'm aware of uses love to mean nil, not, or zero. And this is the the legend, and I, I don't know if it's correct, but I've always read that love comes from the French word for egg, and the article, L apostrophe of, luf. Oh, I, I did not know that. I yeah. did not fact check that. So, so it's it's actually like, a fa- it's not a cognate. It's a false friend. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you are telling the truth, I've learned something. Well, no, I'm saying that's what I have read. Right, but did you fact check this before the Who episode? am I going to ask? The Count of Monte Cristo? Or like, <laughs> you know, where? <laughs> I don't know. Bud Collins, we've got his book here. <laughs> Bad Toss asks, which one of you talks the most while watching a match? What's the answer oh, to that, that's James? definitely me. I, that is not true. Really? I think that's... I just talk the most in general. While watching TV and movies, yeah. sure, but during tennis, no. Really? You often, especially if it's somebody that you enjoy watching, you're silent. Oh, that's true. Yes. Me, I'm cussing at the TV screen all the time. Just today, I was watching the cricket before we recorded, and you came downstairs to hand me the printed agenda so I could look through the questions and make some notes. And you outstretched your hand, and it was met with a slew of expletives because yes. a West Indies bowler just took a wicket. Phil Salt was just dismissed. And after what he did in the last two matches, he had it coming. <laughs> and so I cussed up a storm and then said, thank you. <laughs> and that's what happens when I'm watching tennis. Like, saving break point, banana forehand down the line, it's 10 seconds of just cussing up a storm mm. at the TV screen. No, I guess, right, yeah. If it's a match I remotely care about, I'm pretty quiet because I, I get nervous. Like the U.S. Open final, all, what, two and a half hours of it, Coco and Arena, I I think I barely said 10 words. Whereas I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take this next question. It's from TikTok Tennis. If you do a pop culture or mailbag episode, this is when I had asked on Twitter, should we do one or the other? Yeah, so it's a hybrid. Yeah, we had toyed with the idea of doing a Mariah episode whereby we list or say top 25 Mariah tracks and do an expansive Mariah episode. Mm -hmm. And although it would be interesting for you and me, I think maybe 14 other people would find it interesting. I think it was like a 67-33 split. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's where this question is coming from. It, It was submitted a while ago. If you do a pop culture or mailbag episode, as at least former viewers of Riverdale, did you see the spark in Charles Melton? Because other than a career win for Defoe, he's looking very much like the Oscar frontrunner all of a sudden. And then Tennis Ings asks, if you would have predicted anyone from season one of Riverdale to get an Oscar nomination late in their career, who would it have been? He would have gone with Lily, who plays uh, Betty. Oh, I would... Oh, my Lord. You know how much I despise that character. <laughs> I don't know if I can separate the actress from the character oh, okay. in this uh, instance. So the first part of the question, did you see the spark in Charles Melton? No. I, I didn't. And well, you weren't looking for the spark. You were too busy thirsting. I, I mean, I thought he was an absolutely beautiful man, mm-hmm. which he is. But did I see the spark? 
Not necessarily. I mean, I didn't think he was bad. I just, I don't know. I guess I'm just not the, I'm not the best judge of these things. Like who really, you know, has it. And after having watched that film, I'm here to ask, was there a spark? There, in, there was. Because I, we differ on this. I was not impressed. I don't think it was bad. I think he did a good job. I absolutely do not think that that was an Oscar-worthy role. Performance. And I also did not like the movie. <laughs> because I did not think that that was a story that needed to be told. We have so mm, many real-life instances of that. And you're going to ad- loosely adapt this film from real-life events, but not really. But then the instances are like lining up like really closely. It, it's just really bizarre to me that this was made and it's been... No, I mean, Julianne Moore lauded. said that she watched tape of Mary Kay Letourneau yeah. and she was very consciously uh, taking inspiration there. That That's not a secret about the movie, you know? I like the movie a lot more than you do. I'd be very happy if Charles won the Oscar. I thought he was fantastic. Did I know watching Riverdale? No. However, I really, really appreciate his his approach because he said, Riverdale was my Juilliard. I appreciate when somebody who has come off of kind of a youth skewing show, especially one that appeals to young girls, that they don't cast aside that experience to say that was trash, was horrible. I'm so glad I got out of there because it's so insulting. It's so insulting to the and people. They suffered. Again, they suffer mostly young under girls. Those contracts. Mostly young girls who are watching it. It's just mean to say that. And we have seen, you know, a number of. I mean, it's usually male actors who come out of these experiences. Jacob Elordi is one of them, who kind of cast aspersions on the experiences that got them here. And I just, I don't like that. So kudos to Charles for uh, recognizing that Riverdale, much like a soap opera requires like a lot of hard work on an actor's part and that it's actually worthwhile experience even if the show itself is not always right i mean i want to be clear i don't think he was bad i think he did a good job i just i'm just so shook that this is happening that this movie (laughs) is getting this attention that it was even made in the first place okay you really can't get out of that we're not talking about that anymore we're talking about riverdale no, I'm, I, I can't get over it. I can't. Sorry. And then the prosthetic? Why? Oh. Why? That, that is completely much. ridiculous. That was really over the top. I did not like that choice. Also, like, prosthetic culture in TV and film, it's gotta go. It's, it's always very comical to me. If the point of this is to find out the psyche and learn more about the psyche of the abused in this situation, ask them. Let's do a documentary. Let's find the real people involved here. I just... This is Hollywood gone wrong for me. Okay. Anyway. You're uh, just ready for me to shut up yes, about this. Yes, I am. Because I feel you've made the point already. Uh, <laughs> if you could have predicted anyone from Riverdale to have this breakthrough... Cole. It okay. certainly wasn't going to be KJ Apo. No. And it, Talk about a lack of spark. There's, ooh, there's not enough kerosene oil and matches. And it definitely wasn't going to be um, Veronica. No. I forgot her name. I would have said Luke Perry. Yes. But, but th- Luke was already an idol, and unfortunately, he is no longer alive. Right. I, I thought about that, too, but I think the question was pertaining to the, yeah. the nucleus of youngins. 
Oh, yeah. So from that group, I would agree with Ian, and I would say Lily. Oh, okay. I have another tennis question here. This one from Sapna Shah. Which player, either tour, is your guilty pleasure to watch? I appreciate you, Sapna. Longtime listener and supporter of the show. I just rebuke the premise of the question. (laughs) Because in my big age, nothing I'm doing is going to be a guilty pleasure at this point. Mm -hmm. That's just the way I look at it. The only person that would qualify would be like a Zverev. And by that, I mean, he's not the answer to this question. But somebody's so abhorrent, and I somehow still enjoy watching them. And that person doesn't Mm -hmm. exist. Do you know what I mean? And unfortunately, he's not pleasurable to watch, but he is guilty. I'm kidding. (laughs) That was a joke. Um, Allegedly. (laughs) Just allegedly. I've long maintained that his tennis is hyenas to watch, so... Yeah, I I like the question a lot, but I actually couldn't think of anybody because... I feel like a lot of people would say an Ostapenko. Right. I probably... Some some people are very dogmatic about like the type of tennis they like to watch. Mm-hmm. So if it were someone opposed... You know, as you know, I love power tennis on the women's side. Mm-hmm. If it were someone... diametrically opposed to that well not anymore yes but like maybe that would be a guilty pleasure but i honestly can't really think of anyone well you don't know i do have one oh who is it stan it's stan it's he's somebody who i've always enjoyed watching that is true and And also been repulsed by him right and the reason it's guilty is because of the things that he's done in his personal life that we know of these these aren't alleged things right he was in a relationship with Don, donna vekic when she was too young in in our opinion it doesn't matter what the laws were in whichever lands yeah like we please, don't need receipts don't be gross that's not what this is about we don't need to be going to bat for yeah to be able to like to lower the age of consent <laughs> please don't be gross uh <laughs> and yeah you're right that is that is the one mm-hmm. But remember who, and one, who I said I would kill in my FMK. So right, yeah. let's keep that on the record. A few years ago, and I've let this go, a few years ago it would have been Fonini as well. Oh, okay. I think yeah. for us as gay men, that's probably where our guilty pleasures come in. Like, our thirst. <laughs> who can yeah. we not control our you thirst know, for? As, as one gets older, uh, I've really found that people I find reprehensible on a personal level... I just have no interest in looking at them and thinking about them in that way. It it just, it goes away. Well, aren't you better than everybody else? <laughs> I, I just always want to know, aren't there plenty of hot people out there? Can't you just turn that off for that one person? Tony, TJC05, asks, Who in 2024 is going to be on their bullshit first, most often, and most painfully? Mm-hmm. This is a trick question because some people are already on it. Name them. Name them. Name them. <laughs> Can you name that asshole in five seconds? Yeah, in five notes. No, I mean, we've seen this back and forth between two deeply irritating people, Boris and Nick. Uh, they're already on their bullshit. For oh, next you mean season. the person that I wrote two tweets about that I got completely lambasted obliterated for when you woke up the next day (laughs) i mean i don't think y'all understand what happens here like i'm gonna what happens here i'm gonna be on the clock for all of january because my sleep schedule has me up 
to watch tennis in Australia very conveniently for the show. And I tweet a lot during January yeah. and I get in trouble a lot. No, because if I wake up one more time trying to go about my work day with a tweet storm from somebody whose name rhymes with Lolita, I swear to God, it is not going to be cute. We got a 17 point tweet thread. Yes. And that person called in all the lunatics from the lunatic fringe of that fandom. It will go un- uncommented upon the content of the replies. Also, oh, you can say lunatic fringe on the show, but mm-hmm. I can't say the benign stuff that I said in those tweets. I just don't. Just because. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be exposed to it. Can't you just not it? check Twitter until noon yeah that's probably that's probably the solution sure, but it is also representing us as a brand you know i said nothing objectionable no the objection was part... out here saying that equal prize money should not be a thing in tennis right but you didn't reference that in the tweet i didn't know what you were talking fine. about how would i know fine fine other people may not have known fine, either. but it still wasn't that bad of a tweet. no my question was why are we tweeting about nick curios two days in a row why are you talking about Nick Kyrgios now? I mentioned it quickly and you went on a whole <laughs> diatribe about the torture of living with me. Um, who do I think will be on their bullshit first? Craig Tiley. Just because yes. it's it's Craig's time to unthaw. It's going to be... As Mariah said, it's time. Go higher, man. No, I can't Go higher. It. <laughs> it's going to be an Australian shitstorm. It's going to be Tiley. I just feel... It's, it's going to be, be Kyrgios. It's going to be probably Thanasi somewhere. Yeah. It's going to be... <sighs> Who do we have? Carrie. Carrie Ann. Who was the one oh, last year? Carolyn. Carolyn. Poor Carolyn. <laughs> she just got roped into it. It's a matter of geographic location mm-hmm. at this t- You know, to start the year. So that's probably where you should look so I would, first. Yeah. I would bet on a few of the usual Australian subjects. I would bet on uh, Martina. I would bet on Patrick Moratalu. I'd bet on Zverev. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would bet on Medvedev to say something charming and offensive in the same sentence. Anyone else? Alexis Ohanian. Oh, that needs to stop. I just saw a, f- a tweet about the fucking Cybertruck again. Like, what is going on? Like, this is not cute. This, the, cyber tru- the cyber truck. This is not the retirement that I envisioned for for my Serena. A cyber truck. It's all very cringe, isn't it? At Slice Run asks, favorite concerts you went to this year? Who would you want to see live next year? We've been very lucky this year. Yes. We saw Renaissance. You saw Kesha with your sister. We saw Audra McDonald. That was the highlight for me this year. That was something unlike anything I'd ever experienced before in my life. It was mm-hmm. amazing. I'd do it again in a heart. I'd pay twice what I paid to go do it again. Yeah. We saw Stevie Nicks. We saw Mariah Carey. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not trying to like sound like this is bragging or anything. It's just, I can't choose from all of those people that we got to see. So I don't and know. A lot of them we didn't plan on seeing. It just kind of mm-hmm. happened. Audra was like, I literally Googled or came upon an article that said things to do in Toronto this week. And it was three days away. And I looked at it and there were tickets available. I was like, we cannot not do this. Have we, 
I don't think we've talked about Audra no, on the show, right? No. Yeah, we saw her in November uh, in Toronto, and she did a program of like the American Music Theatre Songbook. So a lot of songs you'd know. She uh, opened the show with I Am What I Am. From La Caja Fall. And it's so unassuming because there she played with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, as well as a few plants from her own band, mm-hmm. right? And so they do a big number to start the show. And then she just walks in from the side, casually, afterward, steps up to the mic, and immediately starts singing. Yeah. They did the overture, I believe, from Carousel, the orchestra. Oh, the non-musically trained. Yes, they did the overture to start. <laughs> like, they played some. <laughs> and then she walked out and her rhythm section comes with her. And they do I Am What I Am. You know, she did a few songs from Cabaret, Hello Dolly, all the, all the hits, all the classics. The voice in her 50s. I don't even want to know what it sounded like in her 30s. Because if this is what she sounds as a 50-something-year-old woman, it's it's cr- it's crazy. She did Summertime. You know, she played Bess in Porgy and Bess in a Broadway revival and stepped away from the mic to do Summertime. She lowered the mic and then stepped away from it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the talent this woman has, it's unreal. We're watching her now in the Gilded Age. She... Not nearly enough for her to do on that show. Uh, but The Good Wife... Or good fight, sorry. Yeah, the Watch good her fight. on the good fight. Who would you want to see live next year? I presume Mariah again. If she's coming, I'm going. <laughs> and if she's playing, I may go to another country. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many times I've seen Mariah now. I, I can't remember them all. It has to be at least seven or eight. Yeah. I think you might be in double digits now. I actually. don't think it's double digits yet. Oh. Her tour this year, she stayed in good voice the entire time. Mm-hmm. Usually, she has quite a few off nights. I think, I don't know, like, she relied a lot on playback this year as support. Yeah. But you could still see that she was singing. And the moments that she did a cappella, the Hark the Herald Angel sing intro, slays every time. Mm-hmm. And a seasoned Mariah listener can usually tell when it's all playback. You know, like how many when times... you're hearing belts from high belts from the 90s, it's and you're like, happening. girl, well, let's it's be serious. <laughs> there were a couple times when we turned to look at each other and we're like, that that was not. Right. That was not. Um, Which is fine. You know, people people take that as, oh, wow, she's such a scammer. Such a fraud. Like, how could you ever enjoy that? How dare you tell me what I can and cannot enjoy and how I should enjoy it? Mm-hmm. And also, everybody uses playback, mm-hmm. even Beyonce. I mean, Beyonce does mostly live singing, but she does use playback. Everybody does it. And this is Mariah Carey. There's no doubt that that's her on the recording. And what I'm here to tell you is that the tone in Christmas 2023 was toning. (laughs) Who I want to see next year, who I feel like I've been chasing everywhere is Jasmine Sullivan. I miss her every time she comes. This is a lifelong pursuit at this point. We thought we'd be seeing Miss Anita Baker next year, but I don't know if we're going to do that. <laughs> we had tickets. She canceled. And I don't know. I've been the, seeing the TikToks. If any of you have seen Miss Baker recently, can you let us know like what it was like? We had tickets last year and she canceled for mm-hmm. Toronto. And I know she's not going to sing You Bring Me Joy, which is one of my top three favorite songs yeah. all time. 
She doesn't do that in her shows. And so I'm just not here for mess. We all we witnessed a fight at the Mariah concert. Okay, really? like the Mariah Christmas concert where people bring their children. Like literally a couple rows behind us. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm normally here for it, but uh, I'm here to watch the concert. I don't know who would I want to see. If there's a legend that I love who's nearby, I'll go. I think that's something that we both kind of resolved to doing. We did it with Elton last year. Stevie this year. Cher might be touring again. I'd go do that. You don't listen to any new music, so... No, I don't. I just don't. (laughs) If it was made post-1998, unless it's Mariah, you don't listen to it. Are the remaining Temptations going on tour? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, I have no definite plans. I think that's it. I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to everybody who submitted questions. We unfortunately did not get to all of them. There are four pages of questions here. There are some we're definitely going to use in the future. There are so many good questions here. Um, If we didn't, we're kind of thinking of like next episode, what are some questions we can ask that are maybe less time sensitive? And so we're going to push it there. I have no idea what you just said. (laughs) That's not where I thought you were going with that. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed season nine of The Body Serve, please consider contributing to our GoFundMe for season 10. Legitimately, I have aspirations for season 10 being our best yet. I think it's well within reach. I think it's doable. I think we're still in we're still in the zone. You know, I think we can still get better. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing more history episodes. I'm looking forward to being more attuned to tennis, to really leaning in, to being less negative. <laughs> it's a critique that I've heard that I I accept. Yeah. I receive. You can find everything body serve related at linktree.com slash the body serve, including our link to the GoFundMe. I'm James at Elliot JMR on Twitter. For the final time in 2023, two L's, two T's. I'm Jonathan at, at tennis underscore John. We are the body serve. This is season nine. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you very much.